friends, welcome back to another very special episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast. The show where we look at movies we love. Break them apart. To find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey. Joined, as always, uh, by my reincarnated plastic serial killing co-host. Alex Dandino. <laughs> All right, guys. Day two, we told you. Every day this month, 31 days, 31 pods. We're off the edge. We're falling through the infinite horror beast of our October mega marathon, beginning the month with Child's Play. So, guys, before we get to that, a little business. It's official. The Film Alchemists are on Patreon. We're there. You want to be there, guys. For as little as a dollar a month. Be a you friend. You can get in. Yeah, come on, come on. For $1, you got it. I'd buy that for a dollar. Right? <laughs> so you guys, you can get in uh, to our social community that we're starting, right? we got Discord, Zoom calls, Very all kinds fun. of stuff we're working on. For a little bit more, you can begin to actually shape, craft, and curate the Film Alchemist podcast to be the show that you want it to be. You pick the episodes, we will give you uh, the coverage that you guys enjoy so much. It's a great way for you to get what you want. It's a great way for us to keep our pulse on what you guys want the show to be. Uh, we're also working on a lot of other cool ideas, right? We might do some Black Mirror, Tales from the Crypt, Deep Dives, some other watch-alongs and commentaries. So much good stuff. So, guys, that's patreon.com slash Pod. You can go over there. For those of you who already are patrons, thank you so much. Love for you those guys. of you who are about to be, welcome and thank you you so much something guys you can do to help the show for free leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you find the pod especially if that happened to be apple podcast app that's a good way to fight back against the algorithmic overlords and toy ceos that gas to get got right your voices will gather in mass like legion and carry us to the pinnacle of podcast <laughs> it's it's lofty ambitions but that's what we do wow. here we're a show of optimism and hope all optimism. right guys you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, Film Alchemist, where you can see video versions of most of our shows there, along with some other content we're working on. You can email us, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on all the social media you're on. These are great ways to get a hold of us. If you just want to talk about the show, talk about movies, uh, let us know what you guys want to hear about. Oh, right. Enough business. Alex, day two. Day three. Get your hard hat and your lunch. Day three. God, day three. Dude, day three. See, this is how much we're doing we're so already, much. My... We're only in day three. We already have lost. We've already lost ourselves in the abyss. <laughs> ah, my melted plastic husk brain. Um, Alex, get your hard hat. Get your lunch pail. It's time to get to work Sick. on what is. Let me get my little buddy tools. This is the thing. Is this the linchpin? child's play movie or is this the uh the final clicking of the roller coaster before it takes what some would say is a bit of a descent into the uh the more edgy kinky comedies that are to come uh so child's play three has its own unique flavor i think it actually works pretty well on its own it it whereas child's play two is more of a a rehashing and a revenge tale, right? Seeing some of the fallout of this one. Right. This one begins to kind of take its own step and move the Child's Play and Chucky mythology forward. Alex, opening thoughts on Child's Play 3. 
know what's weird? This is actually the first Child's Play movie I ever saw when I was a kid. <laughs> I I could not tell you why. I think it was just on AMC, and like I was just one of those kids who's just like, oh, AMC has movies that I should like, and like that was one of the movies it was on. And the first yeah. thing I ever saw from the series was the um, the haircut scene. Man, the scariest scene in the whole series, right? Yeah. Killer against killer, you know. Yeah, the fucking hair diddler. The fucking hair, did, hair diddler versus the, Lake Shore the strangler. strangler versus the hair diddler. <laughs> we'll get we'll get to that. Um, yeah, we we got we got stuff on. We that. got stuff on that one. Um, yeah, like <laughs> I think Child's Play three is a really important movie. Um, it really to me defines the kind of person that wants to watch these kinds of movies. Like, you either accept the what's happening. You enjoy it and right. you like it, it's like we already know how this is going to go. I think this is a really fascinating thing about the Child's Play movies is like in general, like we know how the Chucky movies end. We know how Child's Play movies ends. It never ends well for Chucky. There's always some sort of shenanigans. <laughs> but sure. this is also really kind of like this is for me like the most personality this is where like the personality, like the Brad Dourif of everything gets amped up like a thousand percent. And it's all for all for all for the benefit of us, by the way. And this isn't Freddy's dead yet, right? This is no, 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 no. But no. this is where because I would argue this is where the Brad Dourif starts to leave the character or what or what we would have assumed was Brad Dourif. But this right. is another element to his game he had. Well, yeah, there's a level of. There's a level of comedy that gets injected yeah. here that is, it feels like there's parts where you're like, that's got to be intentional. Like there's a part of it that has to be intentional. And I wonder, based on the last two installments, like, did they do some of this? Be, they did they do some of this to make this series survive itself? Because, I mean, you can only kind of play that card really twice. Because the yeah, third time, it. and they did. <laughs> Like now, like I think the reinvention, like almost the re, so to speak, the reinvention of its own con concept, is why yeah. Child's Play Three works for me personally. Well, it's again the the paradox at the core of the Child's Play series is that it should not work. Uh, a serial killer in a stupid fucking raggedy and doll isn't that scary it shouldn't no. work right and the first movie got maximum value out of this concept right mm -hmm. this uh wolf in sheep's clothing as it were in part two did a pretty adequate job because we followed the emotionality of the first one with this journey into the consequences of that right, right. and we kind of just redoubled down on what it was this one is funny because it starts in this very unusual way that i had forgotten right so they're cleaning out the factory because, of course, they got to make more good guy dolls. The PR hasn't been bad enough yet, right? The bodies are piling up like that fucking mothballed factory, right? But they're human bodies all over the streets of America. <laughs> the note the right? note I wrote down is, this is the worst toy company ever. That's I mean, just so bad, right? <laughs> but this is the thing. So the coroners, when they or the detectives came to find out, they didn't notice that the doll was seeping blood. Right, and they're like, maybe we should get some swabs on that to see if it's Charles Lee Strangler or whatever. Uh, they pick it up with a hook for no reason. I don't know why they don't just sweep it in a pail. It, but the blood hits the the plastic, right? Mm -hmm. Bubbles and swirls. 
and the way it swirls down, it actually looks like when Michael Jordan falls into Looney Tunes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And we watch this. This is what really hit me, though. We watch Chucky's face being formed, but it's like rewinding time, essentially. Well, no, that's yeah. Like that's it's it's my favorite opener. We're not watching him be reconstructed through this new plastic. It feels like we're watching him be sent back. And it dawned on me this time, right? That maybe Dumbala is taking revenge on this goddamn cultural appropriator, right? <laughs> this colonizer. And he's like, I'm going to have my revenge. And there is a there is a patheticness to Chucky in this movie that is just right up front, right? It's there really is a, funny you say that. Yeah, good. that's what I mean, right? So this is the one where the absurdity of the scenario feels like it's finally hitting Chucky. Yeah. Because in the others, he's still on this. If I just get this kid, I'll get the body and I'll be back. I'll be a little white boy and I'll be back to murdering. And that's his main goal. In this one, they get there because every child's play movie still has to have that we're transferring souls at the heart of it. Right. But this one, we start with a toy apocalypse, right? So we're playing right into the. The fact that Chucky is laughing at himself. Right. It's it's a really specific it's a really specific type of thing. I actually think this has a lot to do with the person who came in to direct this one. Um this is uh the director's is is Jack Bender, who um not many will know from Child's Play Three, but the best things that he he's directed two like huge pieces of iconic television. Actually three really. So he's one of the main directors on Lost. And then he directed some of my favorite episodes of The Sopranos, namely uh, the one where uh, Ralphie almost gets clipped called The Wait because he said oh, that thing yeah. about um, Jenny Sack. And then yeah. the thing he's probably most famous <laughs> the for bowl on her ass. besides loss, the thing he's probably most uh, most like culturally relevant for relevant for now is he also directed an episode of Game of Thrones called The Door, which explains Hodor. Hold the door. Which, oh, really? Yes. Which was interesting because wow. I, I I read about what? that. Yeah. So I read about that right before I started watching this, and I uh, I was like, this is kind of fascinating because like there is this sort of element of recreation that happens at, like it's the very top of the movie, and like I was just like, oh god, like it. <laughs> It feels just like the same like scenario where Hodor's just getting like brand until he's like, I'm well, just a Chucky yeah. doll. I'm no Hodor one. is traumatized from the future, right? This yeah. feels maybe like the, like maybe exa- Chucky was holding the door. That's first. exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> Chucky is the first Hodor. <laughs> but I guess the Night King is that CEO of the toy company because that guy blows. What a fucking okay. By the way, can we? Do you think that that set, that apartment that he lives in, that, like, he gets... Uh, I thought that was his, like, CEO office. Really? I thought that was his apartment. Because, like, I know he's working in there, but, like, I also feel like that's a standing set from the 90s of, like, rich guy who owns things. <laughs> like Rich guy that your dad can't relate to. <laughs> <laughs> but I love... Uh, that opener is that opening credit is my one of my favorites. Like where they're where the it's the reverse uh, the reverse of him like melting, which I agree has very interesting sim- uh, symbolism for the movie. Like he is being reconstructed, re 
not even remade. He's being redone. He's not be- he's being rewound is what yeah. he's being like. He's an, I, I love that. It's not just because they say it's a new doll, but I'm like, no, like it's this by by way of this crazy magic that keeps Charles Lee Ray inside this little weird doll body. <laughs> he's literally unmelting and turning back into the original doll like that to me is I like thinking of it that way rather than it's just he's in a new body because like that to me is not what the magic is. This doll body doesn't right. die. That's why that's what makes the rest of these movies like past this one when Chucky's like disheveled and like zombified essentially. That's what makes Zack Snyder Joker Chucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's but that that to me is what makes that opening credits makes those movies that much more interesting because you realize like it's not just transferring to the reason he has to transfer to a body is because he can't just transfer to another Chucky doll. That's not how the magic works. It's but um, not only that the magic seems it's really, it's kind of nonsense, right? The magic doesn't make sense in this movie. So one, the longer he's in the body, he becomes more human, right? All right. Well, he's had two fucking adventures in the body. The first time he was burnt to a crisp, they scrape the fucking plastic off of this body. They put it back. He still electrocutes someone. Chucky's back. Okay, this one, he is a corpse that still bleeds, right? Like he's some kind of sacred statue. You know what I mean? Somewhere <laughs> to this god. And he gets, his blood is dropped in. All right, well, why is he not every Chucky doll? That's Did what all I was the blood curious. just pool to become one? So what it's telling you, right? Whoever is the god that gives him this power, right? Whether it's Dumbala actually, or it's the Christian god kind of using proxy punishments on people. <laughs> they are foisting him back in. So the soul transference is not Charles Lee Ray trying to find a host. It is the fact that he keeps getting fucking pink socked back into Chucky. <laughs> right. Exactly. Right? He shows up in the yard. He's like, ah, my soul fell out. Like, Don't sit on the, the air things and pools anymore. You're back. Is a doll. Yeah. And that actually becomes this really fun extra lyrics. If you look at the serial killer who keeps trying to get a body, can't, is forced back into this doll by this angry god because he's a usurper. Next thing you know, his foibles become way more comical, right? And at the start of this movie, I thought, I thought we were not going to do the soul transference because I had forgotten about soul transference. This was the movie where he wanted revenge on Andy to me. Right. That's right? all that's I all I remember. I forgot about that he still had the option for soul transference. Because that opening scene when he attacks the CEO, mm-hmm. if that's the horror that we're playing with in this movie, it's fucking priceless. Yes. Because it is death by other toys. Right. He's playing into the joke of who he is. Exactly. Like kill death by yo yo is like one of my like Yeah. By marbles, cop car, yo-yos, Marble, yeah, like robots. <laughs> all kinds of stuff. Like, And I was looking at like the toys like crashing and stuff like that. What are these toys made out of? My God. Yeah, like, they're the good guy hammers from part one where you could break you your just babysitter. break glass, apparently. Like, it was the 80s. Yeah. Bag, bag <laughs> well, of glass, you know? 90s, yeah, it's a bag of glass. Bag of glass. Bag of glass. But uh, I, I wrote down, like, I totally forgot. Like, this was the first time I really noticed, like, the catchphrasing, so to speak. Like the first fucking line out of that guy out of Chucky's mouth is like, you don't fuck with the Chuck. And I'm like, but that's perfect. what I mean. He's he knows he is a self-aware sentient. He, I, man now. I totally agree. He's aware yeah. of what's happening and he knows like 
it's almost this never ending thing. Like it makes me laugh because like you realize at the end of all these movies, he's almost like, I mean, I'm coming back. I don't even know why any of you guys are worried yeah. about it. Well, this is the funny thing too in this one. Cause when he kills that guy with the yo-yo, you hear him and he goes, ah, just like the old good, the good old days. So he's getting that. Cause this is one of the questions you have to ask yourself, right? We don't know exactly what his serial killing MO was. Right. Serial killers have a very specific MO and what they're looking to achieve. And the question I kept asking myself in Child's Play 3, why would he want to transfer his doll or his soul into a human? He's essentially an ever-living doll. He just keeps getting, you know, fucking crammed back in. Right. Like he's a fucking refillable bucket of gravy from Cracker Barrel, right? (laughs) So he can just keep coming back. When he kills that guy, he seems to have the euphoric kick. He seems to have the power, the domination. By being a doll, you can up your fucking creepiness and stalking and voyeurism by a millionfold. So the only thing they seem to hint at that he can't do is come. <laughs> right? Because when Andy kisses uh, De Silva in the woods, he's like, I got to get my body back. Yeah. And you're she, like, is that all it is? He wants to come. He just wants a bone. He has again. the serial killer vibe. Right. I mean, well, and that's like, I, this is the thing about the, this movie because I, I've never understood, like jumping back to even one, like I've never understood his MO for getting back into a body. Like I don't, I didn't get it ever. Like, well, the first one they play on the fact that it's new to him and the doll is, you know, obviously a very wimpy object. Right. Right. In part two, he's more hardcore. Right. There's that. And I hear he's real hardcore. Like he literally is like cat and mousing right. a guy so he can choke him out with a yo-yo. So like, like in a cartoon way. Right. But yeah. I've ne- like the mission of Chucky, at least in the first three movies, the mission of Chucky, yeah. I've never fully understood. Like Charles Lee Ray's impetus to get back into a human body, but he always picks a kid that because to me, like. For instance, when yes. so when you fast forward toward into the like, fast forward a little in the movie, like Andy's uh, Andy's been shipped off to like military school because he he can't stay with a foster family. The fucking just the ladder to hell that is Andy's life just continues. This poor yeah, bastard. Clearly, he like has like the worst life of anyone ever. His mom's in special care. Right. So I was, but like I was, I was watching this and like I had forgotten like a lot of I had forgotten about Tyler, the little kid, for one. Like, that was, like, a thing that I had completely forgotten about, like we were talking about. I had thought I had remembered that he was trying to get into the bully's body. And that was, like, I was, like, oh, that would have made sense. Like, that's how I remembered it because I hadn't seen yeah. this, I hadn't seen this one in a long time. And that's the thing. I remembered it as he's using Tyler to get to Andy to kill him. I forgot about – okay, let's just get this out of the way at the top. The movie has an uh, – so, yeah. A really uncomfortable way of addressing the very rare occasion there's an African-American person in the movie. Yep. Uh, when he's like, Chucky's going to be a brother. And you're like, woof. <sighs> and then there's the one, there's a shot in the movie that I was like, holy shit. That is the most, that is the loudest dog whistle I've ever heard. When Tyler's playing with dolls and he's like, we don't play with dolls, son. And Tyler's like, but he's my friend. And the shot is, like, from his ankles all the way up past his old fucking wrinkled balls, past his fucking fat stomach to his face. And he goes, you know better than to talk to a superior officer like that. 
And I was like, Jesus <laughs> H. Christ. <laughs> like, could we hide this anymore? It's it's right there. It's right there. Like, it's like, right the, it's, it's, as, it's hanging as low as that guy's balls. <laughs> like, that's how it's just, you're like, all right, we're just, like, I appreciate them wanting to address it, but, like, actually not address it up front. Like, but we're just, like, doing it. Like, it's. Yeah. And then, yeah, like the Chucky's going to be a brother thing. Like that's let's let's not You're like, oh, that is that time does not age all things yeah. the same. That's like <laughs> I, was, that's like um, that's like that thing. Seth Rogen says like, hey, sometimes you said something terrible and you have to go back and apologize for like that probably would be one of them. The line shift a bit. Yeah, we yeah. could probably have done better. I think we can all say that out loud. We could have done better. But, you know, they're not exceptionally nice to anyone in the movie who's no. not a white guy. And even the white guys don't really get a great deal. So, no. Ma- you know, I just thought I'd say it. It's a little, there are a couple moments you go, a little boy. uncomfortable. You know, women are treated pretty poorly, too. <laughs> even the female cadets. Like, but it's the just, Silva's a badass. Perry Reeves, man. Oh, dude. She's I, so badass. Uh, she's so great. I didn't really, I totally forgot she was even, I didn't, I thought it was a different actress. Yeah. I didn't, because her nose looks different to me. But, like, it's a. Uh, it's a crazy cast though, like her, and then the guy who plays Andy when he's older is um the dude from uh I don't know if you remember this. There's this Disney Channel movie with the Pink Ranger called Susie Q, and he was the only guy who could see her. That was like that's how I that's how I recognized him. This time, I was Lucky like, oh bastard. shit, yeah. <laughs> Susie Q's BFs in this movie. Johnny F is in this movie. <laughs> Johnny MacGruber's a ghost is in this movie. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, the military academy is actually a pretty fun setting for this film. Oh, I think it's great. Because one, it shows us again, Andy's isolated. There's some really funny stuff. And that's why I thought this movie, and I'll give Don Mancini this, right? Because he puts in a lot of those things where you're like, that seems kind of insensitive, right? Like the superior officer thing. I think he's just illustrating. I think he sees societal ills and calls them out all the time. He's very aware of what the subtext of these scenes are. And the military becomes this really interesting place to show these kids, right? The CEOs start at the board meeting of the toys, right? They're like, whether it's nukes or weapons or toys, you know, we're training the next consumer. They're little consumers in training, right? So they kind of let you know this war is a game to grownups. Then you see the, you know, walking in formation and the everyone falling in line. We're going to you know, sand out all the rough spots, right? right? What did they look like when they all start falling in line? They look like the fucking dolls in that toy factory, exactly. right? Yes. That these young kids, right? And we know this in the military. A lot of times it's young kind of kids who don't have better options become the playthings for these creepy old fucking CEOs and whatever. Right. And there's a lot of that. It like really, it really plays to this right. kind of futility of Andy's struggle, right? And also, I don't know what you think of this, but the fact that it's other kids who are in charge of them and administering discipline, referring to them as the men. Mm-hmm. It adds this really creepy Lord of the flies where you're like, these kids shouldn't have this authority. I mean, all of it's interesting. Cause like this movie really is about this is like movies about like the indoctrination of every single type of every, everything we know is like the industrial military complex consumerism and like they even say at the very beginning of the movie fucking fao schwartz is sitting there with his huge stove just being like <laughs> you're like tiny consumers like they literally bring it up from the jump and i think that's what don mancini's trying to point out a lot of the time is 
because like Andy's so resistant, like even in falling in line, he's resistant to a lot of stuff. Like he's resistant to, and he's not even portrayed as like the troublemaker. No, not at all. Like, I think that's the really fascinating thing about the way Andy is portrayed in this movie is he's not a troublemaking kid. He's not trying he's to not cause like a John Connor in T2. Not at all. Like what his, like what he's trying to do is the right thing. And I think that's, what's really fascinating is so often in the movie, the right thing rubs up against the thing that should be done or is expected of you and so on and so forth. So like when it comes to the military academy, the expectation is that you're a man and you're going to, you know, stand up for what's right, but you stand up for the law, that kind of thing. And so often that is in diametric opposition of what should be being done. And I like that Andy is still standing up for the right thing, even though he's like this horribly PTSD out kid who has like absolutely no way of like turning it off either. Still Um, fighting the fight. Yeah. But yeah, like that is to me, the thing that Don Mancini's trying to do a lot in this movie is say like, look at the systems that are in place to like keep us down, like keep us to keep us in line, to keep us as like, you know, soul dead consort can, you know, consumers. Like that's the Especially point. Especially children. That's Absolutely. what this series. Always that's what it's all about yeah. is like, how do you morph kids into these, like as George Carlin, so aptly put you know, soul dead members of the consumer culture, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Like that's really what this is about. Like, I mean, Tyler's reaction when, when they have like the, when he's getting his hair cut by the diddler and, the uh, and the the um, good guys commercial comes on, like you know, Andy's having like a freak out, but Tyler's reaction is exactly what FAO Schwartz in the very beginning is telling everyone is like yes FAO yo Schwartz FAO FAO Schwartz FAO yo Schwartz dead yeah but no but that scene is great too because that's when we do those kind of Danny Boyle close cuts of Andy's eyes in the south yeah yeah down. And then you watch Tyler, and it is this frozen moment of euphoria, right? They talk about, well, before this bad press, we were out selling two to one. The good guys are still economically viable, right? Even though parents have probably read. Also, for a toy company, it's like the worst boardroom ever. It's like. It's like the, it's like the boardroom from uh, fucking Batman '89 when they're all like looking around, and that guy gets fucking smoked. All it is is you're just sitting there, you're looking like, good lord, like. For people well, who make toys, based on what you... we've seen, yeah, the good guys probably supplied Joker with this murder toy. Oh, you're sitting there, you're like, good lord, the, like the the, the the boardroom for a toy company, like you guys really like taupe, don't you? My goodness. Just... <laughs> How about no colors? Although Zero honestly, colors. they're probably like, we're so sick of this baby fucking pastel palette. We want earthy tones. <laughs> we're gonna keep our head in the game, <laughs> right? We're climbing mountains. <laughs> Yeah, not play places. No, but but that's there is a I was watching this and I was like, God, like I am one of those people. I was like, I'm so allergic to anyone telling me anything. Mm-hmm. Right. And so maybe it just hit me extra because like I have a friend. He went into the military and changed his life. He loves it. He's like it really like Same. settled with him. Right. Same. His, He's, he's like, I have discipline. He's achieving so much. And he was like the biggest slacker in college, right? Mm-hmm. And now he's just kicking ass at life. He's married and has a great life. He loves it. And I just was like, I'm just one of those people. I am allergic to 
do this, do this now, do this because it's the rules, you know, shine your shoes, put your clothes. I was just watching him put his clothes away and that bothered me. Where I was like, don't tell me where to put my shirts. Don't tell me. I just have that thing where I would get fucking roughed out. Right. And the thing that becomes, this movie kind of attacks a little bit the idea of, here are these squads of efficient, trained groups, the protectors of our country, and they cannot stop this doll. One of the running gags of the movie is, Every time someone dies on this military base, we get the fuck on with it fast. There's Very no stopping. Fast. There's, There's no... no like, ah, oh, someone's dead. Like, you might have them notice, but they're not crying about it. No. Boom. There's no... Move on. There's no Move remorse on. for it, but the death... Okay, I will bring... This is my favorite... Honestly, this has always been my favorite scene in the movie. There's absolutely nothing that is not funnier in this entire movie. And it it, it has to be meant to be funny. But when he scares the colonel into having a heart attack, yes, and his response immediately, "Are you fucking kidding me?" But that's what I mean. This is a man who is trapped, and it feels because this is the weird where the movie doesn't click all the way. That's a moment where it's Dumbala's not letting him have what he wants. Right. right? Him getting thrown in the trash, and he's like, "Fuck!" He's like just in <laughs> trash. Like that seems like it would piss him off. He gets a kill out of yeah. it. But then when he slashes the diddler, though, you're like, oh, well, now he's still doing what Dumbala shouldn't let him do. If if this is like a repeated, he has to be because that's the, that's the kind of the sad hell of Charles Lee Ray is that he's this rage incarnate, as we see in the first one. And now he's just this little toy that can't get the kill. Yeah, but I <laughs> but see, like, yeah, there's moments like that that I like that. I think that's really smart, though, because like to make this series work, you can't just have this invincible. He's not the Terminator. Exactly. It's a really important distinction. And I think that's something that gets lost in translation a lot of the time because there's so many of these movies. You think that that's the case, just like the Terminator. But like it's simply by way of like weird magic rules and so on and so forth that we keep getting Chucky. But yeah, Charles Lee Ray's rage at like the simple thing like but rage at like not being able to jump out of a trash compactor fast enough and so on and so forth but like i've i I laugh every time at that scene but like the thing that i noted today when he like scares the colonel to death is like how fucking annoyed he was seemed i've never noticed it before but how absolutely annoyed he was that like all I had to do was scare someone. I didn't even get the satisfaction of actually killing them, even though right. I'm the reason they're dead. And this gets to the point, too. I wanted to ask you about this, right? So, one, you see that moment of frustration. Fuck. And he can't get Andy. You know, there's a couple of those early Nothing's going where it's like, well. shit. He mails himself somehow, or he pays someone to mail him to Andy, and then another kid ends up with him, and he's like, god damn it. Mm-hmm. Right? And he's like, oh, I'll rewrite the rules. Anywho. Um... Why is Chucky taking his sweet ass time? Because the one of the questions I had in the movie, and I feel like it plays to this, maybe he's not in control of this little doll body the way he thinks he is. What do right? you mean? Because there are so many times when he could have just got Tyler faster. His main goal should be, I'm going to sit on Tyler all day, every day. And then when I have, because I don't know how long the ritual is. In the first movie, it feels like it takes two minutes or less. This movie makes it seem like it has to play out a little longer. Anywho, you can find five to ten minutes of quiet time, right? 
why is he not just glued to Tyler trying to get in that body and then have his revenge on Andy? There is a part of him that feels like it's intentionally self-sabotaging and wants to stay in this doll. Is it an ego thing? Is he starting to like it? Uh, I don't know why. Why does he not just rush for his objective? Well, I think I, I do think the the um, the spell takes longer for one because like the, when he starts doing it, we see over the school like the clouds starting to pop right. open and stuff like that. But so I think like and I remember I mean and and in, in one it took him a while. Like it didn't take like two minutes. It, you know, I mean we're not talking thirty minutes. No, not at all. But like longer than probably he was. You know, convince the kid. Like here's like the other thing, and this is like. Another part of that was like, that's very creepy in hindsight, which is like a doll convinces a child to lay down on the ground while he like chants words over him. Plays hide the soul. Plays hide the soul, which is like not a game, by the way. So that was like scary. So to me, like, it's not a matter of like, it's not a matter of like cutting to the chase. It's a matter of biding the time so that you can actually do it in the proper way that needs to be done. Like, I think the problem is because. Charles Lee Ray is stuck in a position where he is going to shock people with his appearance. Like the fact that he's a doll come to life is scary no matter what. Like, right. So, but I think up, he likes that, right? Let well, me he likes that you. because he likes it in a way because he can prey on a child's innocence of like, you know, it's like Ted, like the idea right. behind Ted is that like a kid wishes upon a star and gets his, the wishes that this, this thing comes to life and becomes his friend. Every kid in the world would want that kind of thing. Right. The problem is... Let me throw this at you, though, right? Sure. Here's the scene that I wonder if this will click your theory into place, right? When uh, the roommate... What was the kid who got his hair cut? The roommate. Whitehurst? Whitehurst. When Whitehurst sees Chucky, Mm -hmm. right? And the barber's all sliced up, the fucking diddler, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Definitely a diddler, by the way. When he sliced, Chucky just looks at him, boo, and cackles. Yeah. Let's Whitehurst run. Mm-hmm. Then he's like, oh, now I'll take my diversion to do the ammo game. Never goes after Whitehurst for the rest of the film. He does not fucking care that Whitehurst knows what's up and knows that it's him. Right. Right. So th- that was another one of those. I'm like, is he secretly loving that he's Chucky? Because he can commit that horrible crime and then just go limp. Well, right. It gets back to the terror of the first one where. Wait, are you can- saying. Are you saying he, invisible? Sorry, sorry, are you saying that he wanted to go into Whitehurst? Like you wanted No, no, no. To... I'm saying I think this movie is playing with that perhaps he has the mission of I should transfer my soul, but he's somewhat being piloted and he'll never get to transfer his soul. Got it. Right? It's twofold. So in that scene, he seems to really like being Chucky. Right. Right? It affords him a lot of opportunities he can't, except for coming. Right? And I think the other thing is when you listen to that ritual he does, the hide the soul scene, he has to always start with, Dumbala, please give me the power. And I think Dumbala's like, no, you're the fixin' stuffed into the turkey. Interesting. Right? You're not getting out. You're never say getting I, another body. I haven't really concentrated on that, but you're right. He does have to plead for the power a lot of the time. Plead for the appropriated power and whose emissary he fucking snapped a mojo to bits. True. Right? So this gets back to this kind of <laughs> appropriate scenario the where he's just fucking stuck. 
Right? Because think of that scene, too, with the, the diddler. Mm-hmm. It's funny because he sees the diddler scaring Whitehurst, right? That's how he was as a human man. They are equally creepy. That barber is as creepy as the Lakeshore Strangler. Absolutely. But when he's the doll, he's fucking scarier. He is more than a man as the doll, which seems counterintuitive. But I would be way more scared of that little doll than a fucking, you know, hair diddler that I could try to fight. Right. You know, the doll disrupts the entire natural order of our society. Right. I mean, it, it disrupts it, what it disrupts is the natural order of understanding fear. I think that's like kind of the crazier yeah. thing. And like, that's what I was getting at with like, it's the inversion of what children believe in. Like, that's why you, that's why Charles Lee Ray is preying on kids and every single one of these is preying on the innocence of children every time because he knows that at its face value. And like, Andy says this to Tyler. He says like, he's bad news. Whatever he tells you is not true. He's not, he's a liar. And I think this is a really important thing is like, like, you know, I'm a kid. I was a kid once. Like, you absolutely played with your toys and you made them talk to each other. They talked to you like all kinds of shit like that. You always wanted them to pop to life or something like that's the Ted. That's the toast. That's the toy story. That's all of it right there. You want them to come to life because those were your, those were your friends. So for me, the innocence of a child is like, that's the point of Chucky staying a doll is to abuse the innocence of a child so that he can get some form of satisfaction the way he wants it. I, I've i never understood in any of these movies why he, like, based on the rules of the magic, technically wouldn't FAO Yo-Yo Schwartz, FAO yo Schwartz be the guy <laughs> who, wouldn't he be the guy who you'd want to become? Like, that's what I thought, like, I mean, the millionaire CEO yeah, of the of toy a toy company where you could make yeah. a million more like you by just like slitting, like, you know, like pricking your finger and just squeezing it out into the, the plastic. He becomes the mom from the brood with just little Chucky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Actually, Don Mancini apparently wanted to do the idea of multiple Chuckies. He had to save it for a later movie. But like that was the original they toy idea. with it. They toy with it in that opening scene when it's I'm Oscar. I'm. Yeah, exactly. Isaac, whatever they're saying. And then the real Chucky, ah! where he like full blown chooses his uh, weapon of uh, his choice of death, by the way. There's literally like scissors and then a yo-yo on the other side of the table. Yeah, I love. Well, that. he starts with the marble. So it, it's a real on the nose moment. But I think that's the thing. Right. So, again, unless it's like one of those, he has a sexual component to his serial killing kink. Right. Or his serial killing deviance. Right. I don't think kink is probably an appropriate word for that, right? But his his serial killing <laughs> deviance behavior, right? Yes. A lot of serial killers have that sexual component, right? And so maybe he can get 80% there with the yo-yo choke. Right. But then he reaches down and he's all Ken doll. He's like, ah! <laughs> and so he's, again, this is his hell. He's like, I can get right there, but I can't get across, right? You ever had that dream where you're like running? You have to run fast and you just are in slow motion. and Everyone's like, why are you so slow? Why can't you catch up? Ah, you didn't save me. Or you punch someone and you have like a pillow fist. That nightmare that we all have as a recurring nightmare is essentially what Charles Lee Ray is experiencing in Chucky. (laughs) Right? His little fucking baby plastic sausage fingers just Just, uh, 
Uh. Yeah, he he's just getting whooped by children. And I don't know cuz there's a there's a part where I think if it's not that sexual component, I would rather be the murder doll. I could get into every fucking house, right? You could clear out a block in a week. To be clear, if, every time they if come, you had the intention to <laughs> to be clear. Well, I'm saying if he becomes Tyler, right? So he becomes Tyler, he kills Andy. Right. He kills again. Clearly, they're pretty okay with murders at this fucking school because they don't even stop any activities for murders, right? The diddler, we don't even see anyone find his body. We're just like, war games in the woods. No need to stop. Oh, my God. That's the third dead body in like a day. It's fine. This is what we trained for, right? Yeah, barber murders. and Barber murders. The guy who comes and picks up our garbage. It'll be fine. And that's what, but that's where Child's Play always excels at. The horror of the movie is almost never Chucky. Because this is the movie where you start to, there's no almost no tension in this movie, right? Like the, the first Child's Play is a master class in how you draw out the tension and the horror. Yeah. This one doesn't have a particularly tense moment in the entire script. Right. But when you start looking at it, I think this is where we play with the Chucky's trapped in a punishment dimension. Right. And even that last shot when he's falling in the suspiciously uncovered giant murder fan blade, it's shot beautifully. That is one of the great underappreciated, beautiful moments of center cinematography in a horror movie is Chucky falling ah, and like shaking. Right. But the camera cuts back to that. His face, slow motion, very still, very centered strobe lights ah, before he hits the fan and explodes to go back to, you know, Dumbala's cake frosting tube to get put in the doll again. <laughs> and so there's no moment like that that really matters. The moments that are scary in this film, right, are when Andy sneaks into uh, the colonel's room with the knife to try to get Chucky. Yeah. And you're like, oh, fuck, when that guy wakes up, they're going to think Andy's a murderer. Right. Every scene with the diddler is scary, right? Um, the bullying is scary. There, there are moments... Like the war games, right? Just when you see the colonel get shot, and he's been a fucking prick this whole movie. Yeah. You still are struck by for a moment like, we sent children into the woods to play war games, and one of them for real got fucking shot. They started shooting the guns and didn't know the difference. And the, the human horror of that moment really sat on me this time, where I was like, these are the moments that are really good. And that's what Child Play, in particular, Don Mancini, is so good at. Yeah is he knows that Chucky can't deliver the scary. But there's all these other small... Like, Whitehurst is a great example of what is scary. I was going to say. Yeah. He has an absolute inability to defend himself and protect himself, right? Right. And so you see these moments where these these young characters are just fending for themselves at what seems like it would be a very protected, safe place. That's where they get the horror. I think Whitehurst becomes definitely the MVP of the movie. Well, yeah. I mean, he is the sa- – he saves them all. Like, he yeah. is – I mean – But that's – they. I like the false defeat, though. That really was very impactful for that character because it's hard to watch. When Whitehurst sees the diddler dead, which, nope. granted, not many people are going to mourn the dead diddler. No one's going to mourn but, a dead diddler. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Maybe his, like – barber shop supplier i don't <laughs> like well you're cutting a lot of hair using a lot of blades i'm gonna buy a home in arizona a few <laughs> anywho besides that guy <laughs> right? 
uh he comes out he's like everything's fine everything's fine and charlie's like they're gonna kill this tyler kid this child is going to die if we don't busk a move right and whitehurst's like no 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 he's fucking scared he's fucking oh no he's like coward in the corner terrified because that's the thing i remembered him as a, a weak cowardly shitty character but in that moment today, it's so fucking sad. And you have so much empathy for that poor child. Oh, totally. And then I, I love the way that's actually my favorite, like, sequence of shots in the movie is when Chucky throws the grenade and Whitehurst has like, it's all slow-mo. Whitehurst has this moment of like, oh, my God, like, I have to do like he's been like and it's not even a matter of like, oh, he's been this like little wimp for the entire movie he hasn't he's just like seen he's things abused he's, he's been, been fucking abused. abused he's seen things he never would have even dreamed of seeing his entire life and he just saw a fucking doll throw a grenade towards his friends slow motion jump on top of it like i got emotional man like i was just like this kid oh, man oh my for god sure. he's gonna the ultimate sacrifice you know what the saddest part of the scene was too which was pretty i was like that's very stealthy way to make that extra impactful is no one saw him do it. No one. They were busy fighting. No one so saw White him. So Whitehurst made one decision for himself. The one moment in the film where he is in control. Yep. And he said, despite all the abuse, despite all the bullying, despite the torture, uh, I'm a good man. I'm going to fight to make this world a better place, right? He makes that ethical decision, right? The one person on the train track or the 20. Right. And he decides, you know... And I bet I guess a cynical person could say is that he was over it, right? And he didn't value himself. I think the opposite. I think oh, in that moment, no, totally. That's the most valued he ever felt, right? Absolutely. Because he goes out, and for that moment, the moment his body hits the ground and he lands on that grenade, as short lived as it is, he is the most powerful and righteous he's ever been in his life. So it's a very noble moment, and mm -hmm. a film that is very cynical, and you know. Nitpicky of everything in culture, it's this truly just beautiful moment. I love it. Right? Where one abused kid takes the fucking power back. And no one fucking saw it. No one saw it. He did it because it was the right thing to do. And I think that's yeah. and again, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, which is like so much of this movie is about the individual choice, the right thing to do. Like it is, you're right. It's the trolley. It's the, it's the train. Um, it's the trolley or train question. Like whatever yeah. that thought experiment is, but it's exactly what it is. It's flying in the face of order and, um, ordering chaos, which run pretty similar. Like the individual must choose to do what they believe is the right thing. What's good for the group. What's good for the, you know, for their friends. And I think that's, what's really important about what Whitehurst did is it's indicative of why Andy is there and why Andy exists. Why Andy still has to put up with this fucking guy who won't leave him alone in a fucking doll costume at this point. So yeah. like that is especially when he no longer can be no the longer, body. Yeah. No longer. He's going to be the body. Like, and to be honest with you, it's one of those things where you're like, why would you like, why would you? Why, why? Like, I still don't understand revealing yourself to children. When you could He's be the doing Fifi. We don't so. want to like Chucky would never reveal himself to me. So you'd be like, oh, sweet. I'm overweight, diabetic and have back problems. Sick. Same. Right? <laughs> like, be... no. Yeah. I would like reveal myself to Chris Hemsworth. 
Somebody and Lady hot. Gaga, that'd be about it. <laughs> right? like, that'd be my go-to plan. Right. But any, but that's what I mean. There's actually a really, because the ending of the movie is, it is what it is, right? It's kind of a, we got to run around and do whatever. Yeah, we do a little haunted uh, house bit. Like, you're like, yeah. all right, I get it. <laughs> Chekhov's Although, pistol, Chekhov's pocket knife. This is Chekhov's wet dream movie. Also, Chekhov's <laughs> random, like, Tyler left in the fucking maze. Like, we never find out what happened to him. I assume he died. I got to assume that no one cared. You think Tyler is dead? The movie does just kind of end with a janitor shot again. The movie starts and ends on a janitor. Just, it's like it or never a cleaning happened. crew, and then... I looked, I actually looked up, I'm like, I thought the. I thought that it was a cut, and I'm like, oh, maybe I like got a bad, maybe my, like, my Wi-Fi is bad or something like that, or something skipped. I checked it again. And then I went on, I actually went on IMDb and Wikipedia to like read through the plot to see what, if I missed it. And it that literally gives and they fell in the fan and you thought you missed it. <laughs> it literally says, it literally says at the end of the Wikipedia and I quote afterwards, the police take Andy into custody for questioning and Kristen is rushed to the hospital, leaving Tyler's fate unknown as the carnival shuts down. <laughs> he got us. He's got, he's us. That's what it Notice is. They carted off the two whites pretty quick. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there was a, a visual cue at the carnival I liked a lot, right? Which was, I liked this idea of Tyler and De Silva and Andy running through in their fatigues. While there's all these shots and some really weird close-ups of families like, it was great, mommy, daddy. <laughs> right. And then they'll get out of the way and we'll see these kids in fatigues. Right. And it's kind of letting you know that always when you look around... People are fighting their own wars, right? These invisible wars everywhere. I was like, that's a pretty fucking awesome and powerful image to be slipped into Child's Play 3. Agreed. Um, and the fact that no one acknowledges, like, hey, what are these little military kids doing here? What's Nope. It's just this unmentioned thing, which, again, I think this gets back to the kind of military school nature, right? Which this is the one where he even pulls that uh, Corinthians bullshit on him at the start, right? When I was a child, I did childish things. When I became a man, I put childish things away. Right. And it's like, all right, but what if the traumas of your childhood won't put you away? Right? Like, what if they won't let you go? In this movie, everyone trying to deny that, right? The colonel who has the heart attack, they make fun of him. They're like, that guy made it through two tours in Nam and just died of a heart attack. And it's like, oh, so now he's just a fucking coward? Like, hey, maybe be a little better. (laughs) <laughs> right like that's that's a pretty shitty thing to say i know they only did like one moment of silence before they crammed their salisbury steak in their face but like <laughs> hey maybe take a breath to not shit on this guy's legacy and so i i mean i think that's the fun thing about child's play three is that this is the the nether movie to me it's short it's tight i think some people will think it's the first time that the series stepped down a hair Right, because I think one and two are pretty strong, and they play together nicely. Yeah, two is a bit of a rehashing of one in a way. This is the one where it—I don't think it's as good as one or two, but I think it begins to take steps. To it's—it wasn't afraid to be something different, and I think they stumbled on because this is what I always come back to in these long series. Right, we've done Nightmare and Friday and Halloween and all that. Right, every movie just give me a new thread to pull on. And the new thread of this is what if Chucky is just being driven John Malkovich style by Dumbala? Right. And then we get a look at Andy and the fate of these these fucking kids that we unleash monsters on and don't do anything to help, man. 
and you get that really nice Whitehurst moment. So there's a lot of really great meat inside of the goofy plastic facade of this film. I agree. I actually think, again, this is, I think you put it best. This is the nexus point for this franchise. Like to me, it not only dictates what comes later with um, Bride of Chucky, but um, Bride and Seed are like a completely different thing. <laughs> right. They are very different, but I think like the, the notes are there. Like, it's like, to me, like, you know, it's, it's like a, it's like a record. Like, you know, this is like the song that leads you to the rest of the record. And I yeah. think that to me, this does a very good job of honoring a lot of the very awesome themes that come from one and two and then provide you with a little bit of flair and a little bit of color to get you to whatever's going to come next, which ends up being very weird, kind of campy fun. And then, but like, yeah. this is ultimately, this is ultimately like probably my favorite one to be honest yeah. with you. Well, the kids in a war that they're not mature enough to handle is really nailed down in this movie. Right. right. That's one of the more important themes. And, it's a great setting. The cast all delivers, right? Especially a lot of these young actors. They're very good in this movie. Agreed. And it, it's got enough of that great non-Chucky. And then something just as simple as the garbage man. An actual good man. Because I thought to myself, I was like, if I heard a child screaming, help, help, I've fallen in the trash. One, I'd be like, that's a trash kid. You can't trust him. <laughs> Two, what did he do to get thrown in the trash, right? Right. I definitely wouldn't jump down in there. I was like, do they not have Star Wars in the Child's Play universe? Yeah. But that was an, that's another Whitehurst moment that you just overlook. That's a legitimate good man. And that's something else this movie does. This is the one that – because every other adult character we've seen killed in Child's Play, they try to Ship rough them up a hat, right? Yeah. They, try to, they try to rough them up a bit totally. so we don't feel as bad. This is the one where they actually start killing and going after fully innocent good people. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it, it is something to behold. I felt horrible for that poor garbage man. Just a nice guy. You imagine he served food to homeless and was like a I, great guy. And I felt bad for the garbage, garbage man. A Stan Whitehurst, 100%. Oh, Whitehurst. I mean, I the impact of that. Was I salute never you, as heavy on me as it was today. Agreed. And I think, you know, as these movies of age, bullying has become more something that we are open about talking and addressing. And I think that Whitehurst is very heroic in that moment. In another universe, he's Steve Rogers. Yes. That's the Steve Rogers. That's the thing. Steve Rogers. Bullied. You can't beat the good out of me. Which again is an insanely optimistic uh and delightful respite. In this cynical, goofy, fucking Looney Tunes adventure. Agreed. Right? It goes from F.A. F.A. Yo-Yo. F.A. Yo-Yo Schwartz, Schwartz. getting murdered. Right. To Whitehurst. Right? That's quite a book. That's quite yeah. a quite a spectrum. That's it for Child's Play 3, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're ready for Bride of Chucky. I, I feel cannot wait to talk about this. It's funny because everyone thinks Seed is the weirdest, but I've been mentally preparing for Bride because this is the real turning point. This is where Chucky goes 11, as Spinal Tap would say. So Agreed. I'm excited. And guys, because it's October, that's tomorrow. Every day, 31 days, 31 pods. We have leapt into the abyss of horror for this October mega marathon. 
Uh, again, we're running through the Child's Play series. We have an amazing lineup of guests who picked great movies. We're doing some movies that are in the theaters. We have our two patron exclusives. So go to patreon.com slash pod for as little as a dollar a month, guys. You can get in and join the fun in our community. Uh, we thank you guys in advance. Leave us a rating and review. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Film Alchemist. Email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Find us on all the socials you're on. Guys, this is the greatest time of year. Child's Play just keeps delivering. We're getting married tomorrow. We're getting married. All right. For the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Tandino. <laughs>